Welcome to In The Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Welcome to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm really excited to have on the show today, Greg Rowlett, who is the founder of Ambitious.com. So Greg, thanks so much for being on the call with us, with us oh, today. Man. Super excited to be here, man. This is going to be fun. Awesome. Yeah, I apologize. Sometimes I'm, I've been stumbling over my words today. I, this is like podcast, I, I think, number like six today. So now that said, I'm, I'm very excited about this one because looking at your bio on LinkedIn and obviously what you're doing with Ambitious, um, you, you have a pretty uh, almost ridiculous track record, uh, it seems like, of the different things you've done um, in a varying, varying industries and, and niches. So I'm really excited to get into that. But why don't we start kind of with your story and, and what you're doing with Ambitious, and then we can kind of maybe work our way backward a little bit to how you got there. Yeah, it's, it's almost fitting, as you said that, that like now I'm running Ambitious.com because I, I have been very ambitious since the time I was you know 16. I started a record label because I wanted to be Master P. Um, a white dude from like the suburbs wanted to be Master P, um, but started a record label, um, you know, started a lot of businesses, been fortunate to travel the country and now travel the world, do all kinds of cool stuff. And and what I wanted to do with Ambitious.com when we started it is I wanted to give other young people an outlet to learn how they can do the same thing because I meet so many people who are, you know, they're 25, 26, they just got out of college, they're, they're starting their professional career and that's all they do. They define themselves by, I'm an insurance adjuster, I'm a real estate agent, I'm a consultant. And that's not who we are as people. We, you know, I, I'm, I'm 32, but like, I'm a dad, I'm a CrossFitter. I'm a business owner. I'm an author. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a surfer. Like I do all these things and I want to give people that outlet to know that, Hey, it's okay to like some weird stuff, right? Like I'm, I want to like learn parkour, right? I've been talking about that a lot lately. It sounds ridiculous, right? For like a, a dad with two kids that like want to learn how to backflip at parks. But like, I want to let people know that it's okay to have these ambitions and want to do cool stuff in life. And so we created this network to teach people, the people, the places and things to help them to become more ambitious, but also give them the how to's because they might be like, you know what? Tom, I, I do want to go and travel, but I don't know where to start. I do want to stop watching Netflix on Friday night, but I don't know what to do. And so we want to give them the inspiration, but also the how-to so they can go and do that. And, and that's kind of been my mission with, with what we're building now at Ambitious.com. Cool. So, okay. So before we dive into into everything you're doing with Ambitious, because uh, that's where the I think the, the core of this conversation is going to go, take us back a little bit to your time as a rapper and that what that led you to kind of starting your own your own business and marketing other, uh, other, other musicians. Yeah. So I was, I was, I was not poor, but I was the poor kid at a rich high school and mm -hmm. all the kids rocked these like dope Tommy Hilfiger polo shirts. It looks really corny looking back now, but at the time they were all rocking these dope, you know, Tommy Hilfiger polo shirts and, and polo shirts and, and whatever the case, you know, and my mom and dad looked at me like I was freaking nuts. I was just spent 50, $60 on a shirt when we could barely put food on the table and, and all that fun stuff. So I knew from a young age that if I wanted to have materialistic things that I needed to go out and, and find a way to do it. So 
um, I saw, you know, and this is back 20 years ago, you know, 15, 20 years ago, like the, the hip hop artists that I looked up to at the time looked like from a materialistic standpoint that they had kind of what I wanted to have. And I was like, man, if, what if I just did what they did? And so at 16, they let me out of school, um, at noon every day. This is like the, the craziest idea that a school had ever, um, to start a project. And I started a record label, like early, I said earlier, I wanted to be like Master P because he, couldn't really rap all that good. Didn't really make his own beats, but he sold a lot of albums and he made a lot of money. And then he signed all his friends to his record label. And I was like, dude, I can do that. Um, so I, I did that and I actually created a record label. We put out our first album, you know, uh, senior year of high school, you know, started bringing it to, you know, the parties on the weekends and, you know, we'd sell, you know, hundred CDs at five bucks a piece on a Friday night. Like that's a lot of cash for a 16, 17 year old kid. And, and it was awesome. And I uh, kind of took that, grew it, uh, found out that I wasn't, you know, going to be the next Eminem, but uh, I, I founded a, a, we started a band kind of Lincoln Park-esque and I traveled the country, played everywhere from Madison Square Garden uh, to the Knitting Factory in LA. I've recorded everyone from, you know, Bone Thugs and Harmony in my dorm room to, you know, performing with Daughtry and Seven Dust and, you know, some of the biggest bands in the world. Uh, left them the music industry because there's there's a whole lot of money in the music industry if you're not aware um, unless you are like Taylor Swift you're broke um, mm. and uh, I, I got married and my wife was wanted me to like support her maybe like pay rent like for once in my life <laughs> and uh, and so uh, I, I got into uh, internet marketing fell into helping other musicians to grow their business and uh, started selling products online and uh, it was great I was helping them to you know get more fans to book shows to do all the things that we were doing uh, in the music industry and and that led into meeting my partner now Nick Nanton uh, where he was actually seeing a lot of the stuff that I was writing. I was writing, I was one of Mashable's writers on the music industry. I wrote for a lot of other music industry publications, uh, which we're going to talk a little bit uh, about later of how to use media to grow your business. I was writing for all these places in my and my now partner saw me writing for Mashable. He's like, hey, man, we should hang out. And uh, he, he sent me this proposition and said, hey, I want to make you a partner at the company. Um, and you can actually have clients that are not musicians and that have real credit cards and can pay for your services. And um, it was a great transition. And, and I loved it. And uh, we've been flying high ever since. We help. Uh, we have about 2,800 clients in 38 different countries, helping them become best-selling authors, get them on TV and in some of the biggest media outlets in the world. And um, that's 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 kind of the, the cliff note version of the journey from rapper and rock band to running a media agency and now building a media platform on the back end of that. Awesome. Wow. Pretty epic. Uh, so tell me a little bit about, you know, what led you from, like, of all these different things that you've been a part of, you know, how'd you get into writing for Mashable? How'd you write for all these different um, resources and different um, outlets? To, yeah, let's so, start with that. Yeah, I love that. So um, I started, so like a lot of people, and I started a blog. Maybe you're looking to start a podcast today. Maybe you're looking to start a website. Whatever the case is, you're looking to start something. And um, we all have that like field of dreams moment, right? Kevin Costner, field of dreams. Like if you build it, they will come. And then you build the thing and you start blogging, you start podcasting, you build your e-commerce store, whatever you're building, and no one freaking comes. Right. And it, it sucks because you have a love of the labor. You just wrote the most epic post ever. You just did the best interview on your podcast ever. But no one showed up to listen to it, to read it, to take action on it, to buy your product products. And that's exactly what happened to me. I started this blog to, to help musicians and I was writing really what I thought was really good stuff, but I had zero traffic. And I was like, man, you know, it would be awesome if I had like a bunch of people reading this. So I, I quickly learned that from the music industry, if I wanted a bunch of people to show up at my show, it was much easier for me to be the opening act for a big musician than to try and sell the place out on my own if they didn't know me. Right. And so in the music world, we opened up for bands like Daughtry, like Daughtry, who was on American Idol, like he would have, you know, a couple thousand people show up. 
we, and we didn't have to do any effort. We just got the benefit of him, you know, uh, being the headliner and we, we get the benefit of it. And I was like, what if we did that same kind of strategy and we did it online? So I was like, who are the big places where musicians go to get their news? Where are they getting industry news? Where are they getting insights? Um, where are they checking out to see where the latest tech is or the latest gizmos or whatever it is? Uh, Mashable was one of them. Uh, Hypebot was one of them. I mean, there's, there's a ton of sites. Um, we didn't, I was like, man, like there's a gazillion people reading Mashable, you know, a portion of them obviously are music fans. What if I could just get a portion of their people? And I was like the opening act on Mashable.com and they funnel traffic to me. And that was like the thought process, right? Is that I stole it right from the music world. I wanted to be the opening act on someone else's site and I can siphon off some of their traffic. And, um, and so how I did it for Mashable is I literally went to I googled how to write for mashable and mashable had a here's how you write a post for us and uh you had to submit you know a couple topics and ideas here's where a lot of people get it wrong when i look to go and write on other people's platforms I write and give the best content that I possibly can. I don't save it and hoard it for my own site. I write the best stuff and I give away the best stuff on other people's site because I want that to be the best first impression. And I also want them to write it and I want them to publish what I'm going to write. So it's got to be the best stuff. Most people, they they, they do it, you know, kind of kind of half half, you know, halfway, you know, and they, they, they kind of slap something together. Like here's five tips to X. No, write your best stuff, get real research. The other thing, the leverage that I got from Mashable, which was really cool. And this is why I say aim high, aim for the best publications. Once I said that, Hey, I'm a columnist from Mashable. Well, now all of a sudden I got major label artists to pay attention to me because they all wanted to be covered on Mashable. So one of the articles I wrote was five ways musicians are using social media to grow their business. And I, I, I got um, a guy by the name of Mike Posner. It was right when he was about to launch the song cooler than me. Like I got him because he wanted to be broken on Mashable. Um, I got Bone Thugs and Harmony. I already had a re- kind of a relationship with them through recording them, but now they wanted to get you know in on the action. And so all of a sudden you say, hey, I'm writing for Mashable. Well, now I get I got quotes from these people. I got better research. The article went on Mashable.com and now it's driving tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people to my site because they're getting millions of viewers and I'm siphoning off some of it. So I literally sometimes like it's not a secret at all, right? So like you can write for like medium.com right now. You can write for elitedaily.com right now. You can write for uh, thoughtcatalog.com right now. These sites have huge amounts of traffic and they're looking for people like you to submit content there. And if your content is great, they will promote your content for you and send people your way. And that was one of the biggest things that I learned is how can I you know, be the opening act for one of these big media platforms, just like I was an opening act for musician and I can inherently get fans uh, from that standpoint. And, and that's really how the whole process began, man. Okay, cool. So then now, and in, 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 so was this between that and um, Ambitious, you did a few other projects though, correct? Um, I, at least one that I think comes to mind when I look at it is the uh, the Product Pro systems. So I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit, but maybe kind of your progression from working these media outlets for um, for the entertainment industry, for, for musicians and whatnot, to uh, kind of what you're doing today with Ambitious. Yeah, totally. So um, when I first partnered with my partner, Nick, um, we launched a company called The Product Pros. So in the music business, I had career an information product to teach musicians how to grow their business. So when I get an article on Mashable, in it, it would say, hey, Greg is a music marketing expert. You know, go read about his stuff on his website. And it would link back to my website. And when I got him to my website, I would have them give me their name and email address. I give them a free report, whatever it is. And I would try to get them to buy information products. So, you know, a series of videos or you know, online courses, things of that nature. And uh, when when I first partnered with Nick, uh, what we decided to do was to teach and actually do the work of creating information products for businesses. So one of the biggest pain points people have when they want to create an information product 
is actually creating the information product. They don't know what to create it on. They don't know how to shoot the videos. They don't know how to edit anything. They don't know how to create workbooks. They don't know how to do all this stuff. So I just said, dude, I know how to do this. Let's just do it. And uh, when we created the product pros, we used the exact same strategy that I'd use in the music business to grow that business. So one of the first things I did was I looked at where are all the places that people trying to be online entrepreneurs hang out. And um, at the time it was uh, like MixerG.com, Andrew Warner's site, uh, Entrepreneurs on Fire, all these places. And I did the exact same thing. And I said, hey, how can I write for you? Or how can I be a guest on your show? And we funneled in traffic and we, we built a huge business um, creating information products for for other people. We did the same thing when we launched our, our agency. So we have a direct response agency. We did the same thing. We were like, where where do business owners who need marketing help hang out? And so here I went to the niche industries and leveraged their media. So uh, one of the, I, I write for Profitable Dentist Magazine. It sounds silly, it sounds lame, but dentists read Profitable Dentist Magazine. Uh, I write for Insurance Newsnet Magazine, which is uh, a magazine for insurance providers. So high-end insurance providers read Insurance Newsnet Magazine. So we did the same thing. And now is we started to create ambitious, what we were always doing is we were using someone else's media platform. So profitable dentists, I don't own that. I don't control it. I don't get control over the distribution. I don't get control over who reads it, who opens it. I don't get the analytics. It's a great source for me to get traffic, but I don't really own that media, right? I'm at, they control everything. They just tell me, Hey Greg, we need 500 words from you and it's due, you know, October 10th, right? That's all I get what we wanted to do when we created ambitious was to create our own platform so that people can leverage it in the same way that I was leveraging it. So we have a lot of writers that, that contribute for us. We have uh, a lot of video content that we're about to start releasing, uh, where we're, we're, we're developing video creators, but we wanted to own and control the platform where I think the most power comes in, in this entire world is when you own and control your own media platform, right? So just like Tom, you, you own and control this podcast. You get control over the guests. You get control over when the episodes go live. You can control over the show notes. You can control over the promotion of it. You have yep. control over all of that. And I think that's really, really important because now you have leverage. People want to be guests on your show, right? So you have leverage because you have media that they want. So we wanted to create something like that, a large platform that we could have, the, we control the distribution, we control the readership, we control people you know, giving us their email address. Well, guess what? We get to pick what emails we send out. We get to pick what products we want to promote to that person. And so for us, it was about creating media that we own and control. And, and I think that's the most powerful thing that you can do as an entrepreneur or someone wanting to, to, to be in the creative space to be in a business is to control your own media. That could be as simple as an email list. That could be a blog. That could be a podcast. That could be a physical print newsletter that you send out. But you want to have media that you own and control. And that's where Ambitious came from is, hey, we're using all these other people's platforms. What if we built our own platform where we can build an insane amount of leverage and do a lot of good at the same time. Totally. Okay, cool. So let's talk about, um, you know, that, that I guess there's a couple of topics to cover, but I say first and foremost, uh, maybe something that might be most applicable to the listeners, um, whether he or she is building um, their own business. How do they do like, take us through maybe some of the more practical steps of becoming your own um, publishing company of becoming your own media uh, publisher of, of building that platform, uh, as you say. Yeah, so the, the, the first place, and, and this is really 101, but most people forget about this, is you need to define who 
who you want your audience to be. The great thing about business, the great thing about marketing is that you get to define who you want to be your customer, right? So we are not Walmart, we're not Target, we're not one of these, we're not Amazon where anyone can freely walk in, right? We can pick and choose who we do business with, right? Just like, Tom, you can pick and choose who you want to be guests. If someone doesn't fit, you know, the show model, you don't have to make them a guest. So you get to control that. So the first part is defining who do I want on my media platform? Who do I want reading my site? Who do I want seeing my offers? Who do I want seeing my products and services? Mm -hmm. And I want you to really define that. Most people, uh, yeah, I want people that got that money, right? Or I want business owners, but who do you really want? So you know, with uh, with one of my one of my programs, the Ambitious Advisor, we sell high end, done for you marketing services to financial advisors. I want a million dollar producer who's a male, who's conservative, who already spends a quarter of a million dollars a year in marketing. Like that is my guy. Like I don't want the guy who's never done marketing before. I also don't want the guy who just set up shop yesterday. I want the top performers, top producers. So knowing that. A, now I can start to look for where does he hang out? What does he currently read? Uh, who are the gurus or experts or, or, or high-end leaders that he follows? Um, what type of stuff resonates with him? What type of content is he sharing? What type of content is he consuming? Uh, what type of products is he buying? What is he complaining about? So now that I have all of this data that I've just collected on my million-dollar producer, spending a ton of money on marketing, um, now I can think about what kind of content do I want to create for him? Right. Also, what is the goal that I have for him in consuming my content? Right. Mm -hmm. So think about you're you're creating a podcast and this is the exact listener that you want for your podcast. Well, what do you want them to do when they listen? Do you want them joining your email list so you can sell them products and services? Or are you just trying to get listenership so you can go and sell sponsorships and, and get advertising for your podcast? What is the goal that you have with the traffic? then you create the content, yep. right? Because then you create the content to to match everything that I just said. Um, <clears throat> so you gotta define the audience and most people skip that step. You have to see what they want, what they need, what the problems are in the marketplace. The problems you think they have and the problems they actually have are usually different, right? Also, the reason that you might want to create something and the reason that they want to consume something are actually different. So people are looking at, at media for two purposes, to, to either to be entertained or to solve a problem that they have. The, the best types of media combine the two. It's entertainment for problem solving, right? So like this podcast, Tom, the one that you've created, it's entertaining because of the guests that you bring on, but it's also informative. You're actually helping people through the guests that you bring on, but you gotta have entertainment within it because they gotta listen to like this crazy guy, Greg, talk for 20, 30 minutes, right? So if it's not entertaining, they're not gonna stick around because they could be listening to the radio, they could be watching TV, they could be reading a book, they could be you know playing video games, whatever it is. So you gotta have the entertainment component and you gotta have the educational problem solving component. So practical steps, you gotta start there. Don't just start you know blogging for the sake of blogging or podcasting for the sake of blogging or podcasting. Have that target market, but then also have what you want them to do once they consume the media. Without those two steps, everything that you create is gonna fall on deaf ears and you won't get the results that you really want. So what about people that, and this would be probably specifically at, you know, maybe potentially um, authors, solopreneur type people, um, uh, individuals trying to start maybe a side hustle, develop into maybe a more sustainable business with actual like revenue and sustainable revenue streams. What if they're kind of find themselves in multiple areas where they're, they're writing or talking or producing um, in multiple areas, which it sounds like you've kind of done. How do you bring that to a consistent whole? Do you segment off the the various, I guess, topics that you cover into their own businesses? Can you wrap them all into one platform? Uh, it, it, let me know if that it, that question makes sense. Yeah. So 
if, if your goal is to make money, so if you're in business, that should be one of your goals, right? You might want to change the world, but you got to make money in order to change the world. So if your goal is to make money, the fastest path to making money is to niche down and solve a specific problem for a specific market, right? Um, marketing should be doing two things I talked about it earlier should be to attract the people that you want in your life and to repel everyone else. So if you are an author and say you just wrote a book on, you know, success principles, which a lot of authors do, there's nothing wrong with that. That book is applicable to a lot of different for markets. So you could success principles for financial advisors, success principles for solopreneurs, success principles for law, for, for, for lawyers or success principles for dentists or success principles for internet entrepreneurs. It doesn't matter, but find a way where you can take those success principles and make it very specific to a specific person. That is going to be the fastest path to money. People don't like to hear that because they like to hear that I can save the world and I can help everyone. But if you want the fastest path to get your first sale, to get your first coaching client, consulting client, um, is to niche down and become their rock star. Once you speak their language, you start talking to them, they start identifying with you in a very, very cool way. So my marketing services, outside of ambitious.com, my marketing services, what I do for financial advisors is the exact same thing I do for lawyers, that I do for dentists, that I do for chiropractors. But when I speak to financial advisors and I use their terminology and I know that they have compliance and they have regulations and I know the pain in the ass that FINRA is and I know um, that that the every high-end financial advisor does dinner seminars and they hate doing the steak dinners, and they hate schlepping out to the, to the uh, Roost Chris and doing these presentations. When I can speak to their language, even though I'm selling the same stuff to a lawyer, the end product is the same. This financial advisor listens and he goes, wow, like Greg knows me. Greg gets me. He is my guy. So therefore, I'm going to buy stuff from him. So in that context, I do have a specific podcast and a specific website and a specific content strategy just for that marketplace. I do have a, a specific strategy for lawyers. I have a specific strategy for dentists and, and so on and so forth in different verticals. So if you're looking for the fastest path to the money, you have to connect with an audience, connect to their fears, with their problems, what keeps them up at night, speak their language, know what they hate, know what they love, know what gets their buttons turned on. That's going to get you the fastest path to success, right? Not to say that something else won't resonate, but if you look at the best guys, whether it be online guys, offline guys, guys that you buy from, you, when the reason you like them is because you feel like they know you, you resonate with them. You're kind of like them. You, you maybe want to be them a little bit. You want to emulate them. And it's because they're speaking directly to you. They found a niche and they're speaking directly to you, right? So you take, you know, some of the top online marketing guys and you guys might know these people. You might not. Uh, but I work a lot with uh, Jack Canfield from chicken soup for the soul. The only guy that sold more books with him is like the, the different gods of the different religions. No one else has sold more books than this guy, but outside of the success marketplace, no one knows his name right? He has done a very, very good job of being the most known person in the success industry, but no one else in the entire world knows him. And there's a lot of money to be made just within that marketplace. So hopefully that answers your question, Tom, is like, you got to go as specific as possible to find the fastest path to making money. Now, as you grow, that can totally expand, but you can't be all things to all people. It's very expensive to market to everyone. It is very inexpensive for me to market just to million dollar producers that are, that spend a lot of money on marketing and advertising much more effective than trying to target every financial advisor. And obviously much more cost effective than trying to reach every business owner on the planet. Yeah, good stuff. So I love that though. Um, it, while it's, 
I think to some degree, depending on how much somebody's read or, or, or study this stuff, the idea of like defining your target audience, defining your, I know some people call it avatar or whatever. I liked how you, 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 you defined it yourself, how you kind of described that process of starting very specifically with who it is because, and then, and then going from there, moving from there, because I think a lot of people have this idea in their head, well, I'd like to see something like this. And they think, well, just because, well, they think, well, I want to see this maybe making the assumption that, or not even maybe even being consciously aware of the assumption, but that there are other people out there like you. But the, I think the big question is, and this is the challenge is, if you're producing content for, for somebody like yourself, which there's nothing wrong with that, and people have definitely been successful doing that, you know, are you the type of person you'd want as your potential client or potential customer? Um, and I think when you kind of stop to think about it that way, I think the answer is, uh, for me, I look at it, I'm like, actually, no, like, I don't actually, I actually wouldn't want me as a customer. Um, so, so you have to take a step back and realize like, even if, cause I, and I, I say this kind of to bring it back to the person who's just starting out, who's just thinking about where do I go with this platform or who's struggling maybe to get traction. And it might be because you're making the assumption, um, of who you're speaking to and, and, and you're just assuming that because you enjoy the content you're producing yeah. that people will, and that might not be a, a great place to be at. You might want to reframe and kind of follow Greg's advice here and think specifically in terms of who's actually going to be buying your product or service. But I yeah. like that. Can I, can I throw in two cents? Is um, So when I first started, and this will take it back to people who are just first starting, so I did a lot of online marketing, social media marketing, and so I found myself going to a lot of social media like meetups locally, right? So there was like Bar Camp Orlando and there was Social Media Club Orlando and all these places, and I would surround myself with 30 other people like me, right? But they were not my end consumer or my end client. So I would just get in a room and yeah, I could talk shop and we could talk about the cool new plugins or new ninja gadgets or whatever. Mm-hmm. When I changed to now going to the local real estate association meetup and speaking there and meeting those people, well, those people bought my stuff, right? It was a really, really big change of changing your circle from hanging around people that are just like you and do the same thing as you do to hanging around the people who are actually going to buy your products and services. That's a really, really big change because most people, you know, so if you're getting into podcasting, you know, uh, you know, you might start, you know, hanging out in all the podcasting forums and all the podcasting Facebook groups and you go to the podcasting event and there's nothing really inherently wrong with that. You're learning your craft, you're doing stuff, but what if you were the only podcaster at a real estate conference? You know, you're going to be Bingo. the guy that you're going to stand out. You're going to get clients. You're going to, oh, what's this podcasting thing? Well, hey, I can help you set up your podcast or whatever you're selling. I don't know what you're selling, but change who. The other thing, Tom, that I think people have is is they think that they're diminishing themselves and their skills by niching down. Well, mm. Greg, I'm, I'm so much more than just the guy that helps real estate agents. Dude, there's 300,000 freaking real estate agents that make more than <laughs> half a million dollars a year in the United States. Isn't is that, that true, though? It's is that so enough funny. clients for you? You know, yeah. like. What more do you need? <laughs> exactly. No, I love it because I and I say I love it because it's it's advice I need to hear too, uh, and that's kind of like exactly where I'm at. Where it's like, you know what? That's that's it. Like I know what I know it to be true, but how hard sometimes I think to niche down to focus and say, I will focus on these people and serve these people exclusively at at, at the um, uh, at the ex- not the expense, but and and specifically ignore everybody else and specifically like choose not to. So, you know, work for or help other people and outside of that area, because I think the natural inclination is, well, I just I'll 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 sell my product to whoever I'll sell my service to whoever I'll help as many people as possible. And it reminds me of um, Documentum, uh, the case study from Documentum uh, in in Crossing the Chasm, one of my favorite books. And uh, they talk about how this is a multi-billion dollar company, but they had stagnated at, I don't know, several million dollars a year. And 
when the new CEO came in, he basically they, their original plan was to to serve serve anybody who needed uh, digital document uh, management, which is basically everybody, every business in the world. Yeah. And so they were they were essentially serving everybody. And in in so far as doing that, they obviously had some amount of revenue, but they were they stagnated. And and any business that's stagnating is obviously internally dying. Um, is kind of uh, the the it was at least essentially that's that's the the truth for a lot of companies. So he niched down. He 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 focused instead on just like the uh, he niched down and niched down and niched down to where he was serving maybe like a, a thousand total or less than a thousand I was thinking it was like a hundred people that that his company could potentially serve like a hundred potential customers and as soon as they got over 50 of them they had su- super saturated or they had they had market penetration in that sub market if that makes sense and that's when it blew up to uh, uh, that was the start of things to come because then they were able to expand into other areas and it was like the fact that they focused on that one area allowed them to then expand whereas if you start from the broad um, we serve everybody. I don't think you actually have that opportunity. I don't know. That's a long-winded story, but I don't know what your thoughts are on that in terms of the ability to actually expand um, after you've niched down and to grow from there. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what we've done is you conquer one vertical. And here's the cool thing that happens is once you become known in one spot, other people outside are paying attention to you and they start saying, hey, what do you just did for him? Can you do that for us? Right. And the business expands naturally. I, I, I love that. And and kind of I'll, I'll close kind of on this is like so there's there's admiration and wanting to be loved by the people in your peer circle. Right. So it's like if you're an SEO, like obviously you want to write for Moz.com. Right. They're like the kings. Right. But they're not the people actually buying your product and service. Uh, so it's nice to get that industry, you know, like great kudos, like Rand Fishkin thinks you're awesome. Like that's great. I want to be, no- I only want to be the most known person to the person that can write me a check. Checks count, right? People who put money in my bank account are the people that I listen to. They're the people that I want my opinion from. So I, you know, in some circles, like I'm hated as a direct response marketer, but guess what? You're not voting with your wallet. I only count the votes from the people who, cu- who cut me checks. And I have a lot of people that cut me checks. So really think about that as like, you know, if you're a social media guy, do you want to write for this like social media examiner? There's nothing wrong with that. But just know that that's a peer network, right? So that's other people tr- trying to do the same things as you. Again, instead, can you be the only social media guy that's created a relationship or partnership with the National Association of Realtors to where you're their social media guy? And guess what? You're going to get a lot of checks. You're going to get a lot of credit cards. And and ultimately, if that's what you're in business for, then great. Now, do I do the ego play? Like, do I want to be known in the marketing industry? Of course I do, right? I have have an ego like everybody else, but I take care of what I need to take care of to pay the bills first. Mm. And then I go for the ego play. I uh, I wrote this down. I think I, I'll have to re-listen to the interview to capture it. But uh, but I wrote it down as quote: "I only want to be known by the people who will write me a check." Um, end quote. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that on my like uh, whiteboard here. <laughs> and they're um, also the only people whose opinions matter. That's right? exactly Are the it. People that, 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 that cut you checks. Like I don't care if another marketing person thinks my sales letter sucks. My client thinks it's awesome, and it made them a lot of money. You know, like yep. it, it, so. Again, opinions only count from the people that are going to do business with you, and that's why it's hard. Like so, when you're first getting started, your friends might be like, you know, Tom, what the heck are you doing, dude? Like that's a crazy idea. Like, but your friends never going to buy your crap, right? So don't take advice from your mom who's never started a business. Like take advice from the person who can actually cut you a check. That should be the only people whose opinions that you take in this world. God, at least in the, at least in the 
the business space. Right? Yeah, totally. But it's it's so take mom's advice on like marriage and kids. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Okay, cool. I I'm uh, um, really good stuff. Dropping some serious wisdom bombs. I <clears throat> well, I hope people are getting as much out of this as uh, as I definitely am, and I think they will. But let's bring this back to ambitious.com and what you're doing to grow and scale this. So, it's a uh, obviously it's a platform for millennials. Um, I've checked it out. I scoped it out. It looks like you're doing some great things with it. But tell me about the process of kind of. Um, you know, building ambitious.com. Yeah. So it's a beast. It is the, one of the hardest things I've ever done. I thought it was going to be an easy thing. Uh, and now I know that I'm crazy. The good news is that if it's hard, it means that other people are much less willing to do it, um, which is great, right? So if you're doing something that's difficult, um, you can tell the entire world about it and they won't copy you because they're like, oh, wow, that's a lot of work. So um, we have kind of a national brand where we're just writing, you know, your 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 typical online content pieces. Like I just I just put something up this week, which is like the 11 people every 20-something needs to know, the, uh, the X number of things that, you know, every 20-something entrepreneur doesn't have time for. So we're writing like these kind of evergreen type posts in that vein. But what, what we're really doing to grow and scale is we are going into mid-market towns and partnering up with universities to create content to become the definitive voice of the 20-something in those mid-markets. The reason why I want to go after mid-markets is because everyone talks to New York, LA, Chicago, San Francisco, yada, yada. No one's talking to where I live in Orlando. No one's talking to, you know, Madison, Wisconsin, Boulder, Colorado, um, Austin, Texas, Greenville, South Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina. No one's talking to these markets. And there's a lot of people in those cities who they, you know, for like a dude, right? So me and you, like I read GQ magazine and I'm like, this is awesome, but I live in Orlando. I'm not wearing three scarves in July, you know? Like, so while you're giving me good information, you're not talking to me. And I really want to talk to people in these mid markets because we can become a driving force. We can really become a voice of recommendations. So this is a, this is a writer downer. I don't like to do reviews. I like to make recommendations. And so when I make a recommendation, that means that someone might actually take that recommendation. Then they can start building trust with us. They take a recommendation to go to, you know, a state park to, that we have recommended that they go do. And we recommend this run to be their first run to do their first ever mountain climb or their first ever hike. Now they're going to trust us. Now when I come in and I try and sell them a product or try and sell them a service or do something like that, they're like, I trust these guys. Like every time they make a recommendation, I go and I do it and I have a better life. Well, now I should buy their stuff. So we're, we're doing the scaling thing by getting writers from these different mid-market towns and becoming, you know, like ambitious Orlando, ambitious Boulder, ambitious Tampa, ambitious all these all these different cities, um, and then our 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 revenue model is going to be a, a combination of advertising but also commerce. So I. I'm a firm believer that advertising is not a sustainable business model for most people because you're always chasing the dollar, but you're also chasing the page view, which means that you'll sacrifice quality and integrity to get the page view just so you can get the ad dollars. Um, why I do believe though, at some level, fundamentally advertising is not a bad thing because you can monetize the person who's just the window shopper where retail stores. So like you go in the mall, just because you walk in a store, they can't monetize that. But on a website, on a network, something online, you can monetize the person who's just window shopping. And that's what advertising to me serves as for the window shopper. But for the person who wants to take it longer, not only do I have the media platform, which is the website and, and the different content distribution points that we have, my real media network is my email list. I want to build a loyal following of subscribers in all of these towns and make recommendations to them on a commerce level where I'm actually selling them either trips, selling them experiences, uh, selling them information products, selling them guidebooks, all these different things where we're actually creating commerce. Um, 
taking this to the next level is, you know, when you look at a network like Fox News, right, whether you love Fox News or hate Fox News, people know and fall in love with or hate the journalists at Fox News, right? So Bill O'Reilly, great example. You love him or you hate him, but a lot of freaking people love him. What Fox News has done is they've actually built an entire mm-hmm. business around Bill O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. He has New York Times bestselling books. He goes on speaking tours. Mm-hmm. He has products. He has licensing deals. He has merchandise. I don't believe that that's happened really well in online journalistic forums. So mm-hmm. like BuzzFeed, I love BuzzFeed, but I have no freaking clue who wrote any article ever on BuzzFeed. No idea, right? Yep. It's just another person that wrote 10 funny cat videos. And so what I want to do is I want to, A, create brands around the personalities on the site. So, A, I can have 100 rock stars who have channels on Ambitious. But then, B, from my background, I can also now not just offer them a place where they can create content, but I can help them to create a real business. Because most people are freelancing. They're, you know, they're, they're getting 20 bucks to write an article, $100 to write an article. Well, what if you were getting that money to write the article, but then you're getting people into your own platform and you could actually sell them stuff? And you now had a real business. You weren't just fighting for pay views and writing, you know, 500 words at a time, but you actually had a business behind it. And that allows me to have 50 businesses, a hundred businesses, a thousand businesses from all of the content creators that we build on the site. Now, not everyone that writes content for our site is going to, you know, have that opportunity, of course, because, you know, we want the best people, the people that, that have the personalities that have, that have connection with the audience. But that is, um, that's kind of our strategy from a business standpoint of what we're doing with Ambitious is um, it's really these mid-market towns developing personalities and developing commerce behind those personalities. Awesome. Epic stuff. And so as you're doing this, as you're growing this platform, uh, what have you found uh, to be kind of maybe taking us into the, the nitty gritty for a second and, and the more sure. tactical aspects of it? What have you found to be the um, your highest leverage activities where you've been able to produce the greatest results so far? Um, so involving people and this, this, it should make sense as I say it, but like the best performing content that has had the furthest reach, the most shareability, but also just created the most commotion, got the most people to sign up to email lists is when we involved other people. So writing an article, uh, one of our best articles that we wrote were, uh, 10, I don't remember the exact number, but I'll say 10 female comedians who were giving Amy Schumer a run for her funny, not money, funny. Cause it's a pun. Right. Um, and, uh, and we involved these 10 comedians. So we got quotes from them. Uh, we got the, we we asked them like, what's your best clip? We got their videos from them. And then when the post went live, all these comedians shared it into their, their networks, into their comedic, you know, forums and boards and all these places. And all of a sudden, instead of us just promoting that content, now we had 10 others promoting that content as well. Some of them had hundreds of thousands of followers. Some of them had, you know, just 10,000 followers. But that one post just out of those 10 people got us a reach of, you know, millions of people that we never would have had ourselves. So by involving these people, you know, we got a much bigger reach. We, it affected more people. And then all the other comedians benefited from it because if if Jane shared the post and, you know, uh, her followers saw it, they came to the page and they saw Susie's comedy. Well, now Susie benefited from it. Right. And so it was just this whole cyclical thing. And so my my encouragement is to involve other people. So, Tom, you have guests on your podcast, right? So when this podcast goes live, I'm going to tweet it. I'm going to share it. I'm going to Facebook and I'm going to do all the stuff that I'm going to do. And now you're getting access to an audience that you wouldn't have had if you just did the show by yourself, right? So the more people that you can involve and get them on board, and obviously the more people with influence, you know, the better results that you're going to get. And that has been um, time and time again, every time we do something like that, it's when the traffic spikes, it's when the amount of awareness spikes, it's 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 a growth path for us. So involve people. So if, if you're just getting started out, maybe this is a case study, right? So involve your best customers or clients. 
involve your people. Maybe it's just your staff. Um, interview people in your space. So if you're you are a real estate agent, interview a mortgage broker. Interview someone from a title company. Interview you know a, a home stager. Interview a architectural design firm. Like how can you get other people involved in what you do? And you might think that you have a boring you know. A career. I think most of you actually have cool careers. Um, when, I was, when I was checking out the site, is but how can you involve other people? Because through that, you actually get much greater leverage, and and your reach can go much further, and you can impact more people. So that's from a tactical standpoint. That's something that I recommend to everybody uh, to do as as quick as possible, and to to leverage their networks. Awesome. I love it. Okay, Greg. Well, I've already taken up uh, more than your time than I should have. We're, we're coming up to the 40-minute mark on the podcast. So I just want to leave it with uh, a chance for you to maybe say some parting words to anybody who's getting started or, or starting to kind of grow their brand or business. Um, any final words of encouragement or advice? Yeah, it's to start, right? So um, that that's always the big thing, right? So, you know, I don't expect anyone to take advice for everything that I said today, right? So, but is there one thing? Is it the, hey, I am going to write one article where I'm going to involve five different people in it? Is it, I want to get one media mention? Like, I want to write for Medium. I want to write for Mashable. I want to write for TechCrunch. I want to write for real estate industry site. Find one piece of media that you can write in where your potential clients are hanging out, right? That would be my challenge to you. Write for one piece of media. That could be a newsletter. That could be a blog. It could be a physical magazine. It could be, it doesn't matter. One piece of media where the person that you want to buy your stuff hangs out. If you do that, you will see traction. You will see results. And you also get to say, hey, I was as seen on whatever that media is. Do that. And the momentum that you will get from that will, will be, you, you'll, you'll thank me and you'll thank Tom. Um, and then, <laughs> I think, I think, I think that's all you can ask for, right? <laughs> awesome, Greg. And for those listening, check out ambitious.com. And Greg, is there any other place you want to direct people or if they want to get in contact with you or check out what you're doing? Yeah. All the social media is just slash Greg Rollette. So the Facebook, the Twitter, um, all those, that's probably it. Like, I don't, I don't know how to use the Snapchat. I'm not cool enough, um, to figure that out, but yeah, just slash Greg Rollette, reach out. And, and obviously I'll be hanging out in, in your community. You know, if people have questions about what we talked about. I'm happy to answer them as there as well, but this has been awesome, man. I had a great time. And that wraps up another broadcast of in the trenches. If you'd like to check out the show notes, just head over to tommorcuscom slash podcast, where you'll find the latest broadcast. And if you enjoyed today's broadcast, please do me a favor and leave a rating and review on iTunes. That's the fastest, simplest, easiest way to support my creative work, and it would really mean a lot to me. As always, this is Tom Morcus, and if you're listening to this, you are the resistance. <laughs>